On September 11th, 2001, our American way of life was attacked. Everyone remembers where they were that day and how their lives changed from that moment on. The American Legion is committed to honoring the memories of those we lost on 9-11 and in the global war on terrorism that followed. As part of that commitment, the American Legion Tango Alpha Lima podcast presents a special series, 9-11-2020. 20 episodes in the 20 days leading up to the 20th anniversary of the attacks that changed the world. Each of the 20 guests delivers a unique first-hand perspective on 9-11 and our nation's response. Here is one of those remarkable stories. All right, Eric Inquist is Vice President of the USAA Brand Management. He began his career at USAA in 2005, serving in a variety of leadership roles along the way. Before his career at USAA, Enquist served in the U.S. Army eight years as an infantry officer, and he deployed to Kosovo and was among the first troops deployed to Iraq after 9-11. Enquist graduated from the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and received his MBA from the University of Texas, San Antonio. It was at the Roadrunners, I believe. Uh, he currently lives in Canyon Lake, Texas, with his wife, Kimberly, who is a retired U.S. Army NCO, and their three daughters, Fallon, Addison, and Harlow. Eric, thank you very much for taking uh, time out of your day to join us today. We appreciate having you on. Good to be with you, Mark. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's start. Uh, you know, we are doing an entire uh, series of episodes, basically on uh, you know 9/11 and how it's impacted your life. Talk to us a little bit about your 9/11 experience. I had a bit of a unique experience. I was overseas. Uh, I was at Camp Bonsteel, Kosovo, as part of K43 Alpha Kosovo Force. That uh, was a combined task force uh, that included the 101st Airborne Division, where I was stationed at the time, and elements of Third ID. Um, on 9-11, there was a six-hour time difference uh, between the Eastern time and uh, time in Kosovo. And so the local time was about 1440 uh, when the local, when the towers were hit at 840 Eastern. And I was in my sea hut and I shared those with five other uh, officers. And some of my roommates came rushing in and alerted me to the attack. I was a, a deputy G3 operations officer. So I divided my time at the talk uh, doing uh, battle captain duties. Uh, really worked from midnight to early morning. And then I spent the daytime training up the local uh, Albanian Kosovo forces, demilitarizing them and really setting them up for responding to internal emergencies. And so I was getting ready to hit the rack and they rushed in and said, uh, we were under attack. And I, of course was somewhat confused. And uh, we were actually planning a training effort to test our internal controls at Camp Bonsteel and across our sector uh, for a terrorist attack. So I thought they were just hearing about the planned exercises uh, and were reacting to it. But they asked me to go to the command center since none of them could access uh, that location and then determine what was going on. So by the time I got inside the talk, I joined the rest of the command group and we were all in shock as we watched the second tower get struck and then both uh, watched both towers fall live on CNN. Uh, it was being projected on a big screen within the operations center. So as you can imagine, it had wide sweeping implications for our deployment. We saw a great increase of jihadist activity in sector. Uh, we discovered several jihadist training facilities hidden within the ground safety zone, which was a five kilometer no man's land kind of buffer between uh, Kosovo and Serbia at the time. And we started detaining all sorts of insurgents from around the world including Iranians, Chechnyans, and other places where Muslim extremists were joining the call to support their Albanian brothers 
uh, in a, um, a, a little war between Kosovo and Macedonia at the time. Yeah, um, I, I can't imagine exactly what it would be like to be deployed and then get, you know, almost a deployment within a deployment. It had to have been uh, a lot of fragos going on uh, in terms of what your operational tempo was. It certainly was. Yeah. Uh, um, so, uh, and then later on in your career, you served in uh, uh, Iraq as well. Did, what, uh, how did you end up there? Who were you with at the time? Well, after deploying from Kosovo, I had processed Fort Campbell. I went to Fort Benning, and the infantry officer advanced course, Cass Cube. Uh, following that assignment, I was uh, I PCS to Korea with the first of the 503rd Air Assault Battalion, um, and then for stayed there for a year. I was assigned to Fort Hood in January of 2004, and so by February of 2004, I deployed at, with the Advon elements of the division headquarters, the First Cav, as the information operations targeting officer. And we co-located with elements of the 1st Armored Division at BIOP or Baghdad International Airport before we assumed our new headquarters at the brand new formed Camp Victory uh, at the division headquarters there. Um, in April of 2004, during the April uprising, uh, I was pushed down to 2nd Brigade Blackjack in their S3 shop and given the opportunity to take lead of a newly established Iraqi National Guard Battalion as an advisor. And so I joined a post-command armor captain and we took charge of what was then the ICDC or the uh, Iraqi Civil Defense Corps, newly minted Iraqi uh, National Guard. And this was the 303rd Iraqi National Guard in Baghdad. And we occupied a former set, uh, Saddam Fedayeen compound in Al-Amariya. And we patrolled across the entire divisional sector, including areas like Galgazalia, Hatin, Yarmouk, Abu Ghraib, Sadr City and elsewhere. And we were able to free reign, even though our principal area of responsibility was um, Al Amariya and, and Abu Ghraib, uh, because we were able to infiltrate areas, raid mosques, and, and exploit other sites that were more sensitive where Americans couldn't go based on their unique knowledge and access. Yeah. Uh, I, if you saw Jeff give me a look, it's because I stepped on one of his questions. So, But uh, Jeff, I hope I didn't steal too much of yours, but Jeff, you are up. Oh, okay, I'm up. So uh, as Mark said, you were, you did a deployment within a deployment. And I, I'm, I'm just curious about being across the world, watching your home country get attacked, which doesn't really happen. And, I, and I'm wondering how that affected everyone there, the morale, the, uh, the, just the general feeling and the disconnection feeling of not being there and, and not being with your family and not really having a ton of information? That's a great question. Uh, I'll tell you that there were mixed emotions. Many people were separated from their families and obviously there was a concern. I recall it was surreal being overseas. We at the time were basically the only forward deployed unit in a peace enforcement type of mission if you remember back to 9-11, there weren't a lot of uh, operational deployments. Kosovo was the newest, uh, and we still had fo forces in, in Bosnia as well. Um, but, you know, the, the advent of deployments that were after 9-11, obviously Kosovo didn't compare to that. But as we watched at home with many uh, families stuck either on base or off base because the lines to get on military installations were so long, 
those who we served with back home would even sleep in their offices because they couldn't literally make it home in time to change and then return the next day based on the increased security postures. And so we saw that from a distance. But on the other side, you know, we were conducting real world operations. Our mission changed overnight. We were no longer focused on reducing the ground safety zone. We were actually looking for jihadist training camps. We were responding to other uh, incidents along the southern border between Macedonia and Kosovo. There was a jihadi type of uh, insurgency going on within uh, Macedonia and Kosovo that we had to, to address. So, you know, we really were on kind of a forefront of a lot of those activities before forces, you know, in the, in the fall after 9-11 uh, invaded uh, Afghanistan. And so it was, it was a mixed kind of approach to being uniquely positioned in that theater, but while focused on a lot of things back home that were, you know, instantly life-changing for many people. And, and watching the destruction unfold in, in New York City and at the Pentagon from, from far away. Well, because I, I, you know, I think about the things that happened here on American soil, but to instantly change your mission uh, to something drastically different, uh, how, how did that transition go? I mean, Obviously, they have uh, leadership like yourself to guide them through it. But how did the troops handle that, especially because I'm assuming it was a huge distraction back at home? Uh, it was pre-cell phone and, and email connectivity to the extent that troops had today. They were really focused on the mission at hand. They were certainly... Um, focused on the mission and, and embroiled in what was going on because there was so much going on. Uh, at the time, we were very concerned about the state of the fragile peace that was being held in Kosovo, certainly within Macedonia. Uh, other elements of our organizations back at home were preparing for deployments overseas. So everyone had such a mission mindset. I don't think it's fair to say that there were significant distractions, um, but certainly you know, those troops were really well prepared in that perspective when we redeployed in November timeframe to assume uh, another posture and deploying with other forces to go into uh, Afghanistan. Awesome, thank, well, thank you for that. And uh, thank you for leading your troops through uh, what had to have been a harrowing experience. Yeah, thanks. That's, uh, in the Army, that was always called the unique training opportunity when you had an entire plan set out and it gets radically changed, like the entire mission. So that's got to be something. Ashley, you yeah, are up. Oops, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it prepared me well. Um, the time there kind of set the, the expectation that when, when I redeployed stateside and then kind of boomerang back to Iraq, uh, fast forward to a, a different theater and certainly an extension from what we were doing in Afghanistan, being assigned with the Iraqis, leading them and in, in assisting in the fight. Both in Baghdad, we were in Fallujah, and then we were extended a second time in North Babel, the Triangle of Death, Mamadiyya, Ludafia, Yusufia. Uh, there was, you know, obviously a big sense of purpose in delivering against the global war on terror. Yeah. All right, Ashley, you are up. Well, this is very uh, serendipitous because my question is in relation to your experience as an infantry army officer and 
how it helped you in your role as an executive with USAA? I think my time as an infantry officer was invaluable in preparing me for corporate America, generally speaking, USA specifically. Um, you know, there are too many lessons learned and life experiences to really talk about in particular, but easy to identify some qualities. You can say leadership, operating under stress. Those are kind of generic. And, you know, obviously I think it's easy to say infantry skills are not readily transferable to corporate America, certainly not within the marketing profession that I'm a part of today. But to highlight, I guess, a few traits that I really lean on, um, being nimble and agile to change. And Mark, you just kind of asked, asked about that. Being a change agent. You know, I was actually hired as an agent, to, a change agent to help transform our marketing organization to achieve the vision of my boss at the time. And, you know, the pace of change within corporate America is measured in nanoseconds. And I often tell my team, the only thing that is constant in, in business is change. So a continued focus on leading people through change is invaluable. Change is stressful. And as soon as you can ease their concerns about what changes for them, the sooner the team can adopt to those changes and begin performing. The second thing I'd say is uh, the importance of relationships and team building. You know, I often think back to first introductions that I was making with new Iraqi units while expecting to immediately conduct combat operations, whether in Baghdad or Fallujah or in North Babel. The trust that we had to establish in such limited uh, time was unparalleled. And while obviously the intensity of those types of situations are not replicated at USAA, they're not replicated in corporate America, the importance of relationships and the professional trust is just the same. Uh, it, effective teams are built on trust. You think of leaders like Stephen Covey, they talk about the speed of trust. So I continue to lead my teams in the spirit of transparency, collaboration, uh, in the pursuit of establishing high trust organizations. I guess the last thing I would say is the role of a leader in an organization or things I think back on. Are, are leaders supposed to be just decision makers or do they set the conditions for their team's success and allow them to make decisions? Stan McChrystal, uh, who I'm sure you're familiar with, wrote a great book that explains his leadership philosophy. And it's kind of one that I really uh, subscribe to in uh, his book, The Team of Teams. And in it, he describes how he exponentiated high-performing special ops teams like SEALs and Delta uh, by pushing decision-making down to where the intelligence was, rather than pulling that information up to him to make centralized decisions at a really slow pace, right? And they went from one or two raids per night under uh, you know, previous uh, commands to dozens and really put the enemy on its heels. And so I think of the trust that my brigade commander put in me inherent trust, because many times I wasn't in communications uh, range when we were in contact. And so I operated very autonomously with Iraqi forces, understood what decisions could be made at my level, and we were able to maintain effectiveness. And I lead teams today with that same notion of identifying decision rights and establishing role clarity with my leaders up front and ensuring they have the freedom to make decisions at their level rather than waiting for decisions to be made by me. Wow, that's far more detailed. And I absolutely love everything that you said, Eric. I think leadership is incredibly important, especially as we move across corporate, nonprofit, the federal sector. There's just so many valuable lessons that you have just bestowed and sprinkled upon us, if you will. I appreciate you so much. And I, I'm so happy that USA has you and 
you can continue to to lead in a different capacity in your second service. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us today. Thanks, Ashley. It's great to be with you and Mark and Jeff. Thank you for your time. This is sort of a, a close up. You know, when you think back on how transformative 9-11 was, where is Eric Enquist absent the, you know, the war on terror, 9-11? You know, what was your 10 year plan back then? Uh, day by day, you know, I always thought I'd make the, the army a career. I was intensely uh, proud of military service. Wearing a uniform was my identity. Um, you know, I ultimately, after my deployment to Iraq, made the decision to separate for family reasons and settled here in South Texas, which started my professional career in, in corporate America at USAA. Uh, but I always think, you know, being part of mission-driven organizations uh, are important to me. Being a part of USAA, I always tell people that may not be serving, but serving those who serve, I think is, uh, is an admirable profession in and of itself. There may be no higher calling to, to, uh, to anyone other than those in uniform, but uh, the honor of serving them in meaningful ways and facilitating financial security among the military community is, uh, is something I, I have equal pride in. And the people that I work with at USA that share that noble mission and that pursuit of service is what keeps me motivated every day. Awesome. All right, Eric. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy day. And I, I assume you're working from home today. So you got that going for you anyway. So uh, go enjoy the uh, good Texas weather while we have rain here in Indianapolis. But to everyone else, we will see you next week. Thanks again, Eric. Appreciate it. Thank you.